For as long as I've known the NBA, it's been a stars league. But even among the stars, there's an exclusive club. Russell, Dr. J, Jordan, Kobe. They're all part of a select group that paved the way for the NBA superstar of today. And some even shared secrets with each other along the way. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Jackie McMullen, and this is the Icons Club. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com. And joining me on the other line, my favorite London museum clerk, it's Andy Greenwald! All right, I'm a bit of a superhero, ain't I? Oh, yeah. I was, I was waiting for right. the chim chimney coming through pip, with the pip. Moon Knight voice. Uh, welcome to the podcast, everybody. Andy and I are here to talk a lot about We got a lot of television. Um, Andy just pulled a classic gets up five seconds into the podcast to go turn a bunch of stuff off that he left on. We're humming, though. We have a lot of shows to burn through. Andy, it's great to see your face. I'm still in Philadelphia. <laughs> I like the idea. What people don't know is I just have a lot of, like, little individual Bunsen burners and, you know, like, sterno things on. I've got a yeah. whole lot of chafing dishes warming. And sometimes I forget, you know. I'm, gonna, I'm so committed to this podcast, Chris. We have so much TV to talk about. People I can't think that we've lost our spark after 10 years. Mm-hmm. There's some speculation. No. But let me tell you something. It's rare that you find two guys who can make it work while either one is turning off several appliances throughout mm-hmm, a podcast mm-hmm. or the other starts reading pro football talk while you, while you talk. <laughs> Are you finally admitting it? I don't do it all often. <laughs> but when I can tell you're really, you're going to go for a while, I'm just like, let me see the waiver wire, you know? What's, what's incredible is that we've been doing this for so long that when I see your eyes go dead... <laughs> I assume you're just like, this is an opportunity for me to hone my craft and really like check the Nielsen numbers on the show I'm about to cite once it, once once the conch gets passed back to me. I'm seeing if Nick Sirianni had a press conference today. <laughs> Listen, that's fine. You're my first listener. As long as the rest of the listeners don't do that, I think we're good. I think everything you say is fascinating. Uh, Andy, we have so much stuff to get to. So on the on the docket today, we've got... Uh, a little bit of hype about Slow Horses, which is premiering on Apple uh, on April 1st. We uh, want to talk a little bit about Girl from Plainville. Watch the first episode of that. I know a couple of episodes are up. I wanted to chat with you a little bit about Winning Time, which I yeah. think had its best episode, the fourth episode recently. I agree. And the phenomenon, not even the phenomenon, but how we kind of, you know, how much of a chance people are giving shows right now, given how many of them are on and, you know, even yeah. two people who do a TV podcast, like, there's a couple of shows out there that I haven't even cracked that I want to get into. But um, what do you do when a show is hitting its stride mid season, you know, and, and are there enough, enough people around sticking around to watch? And of course we want to get into Moon Knight, which uh, premiered its first episode yesterday morning, Wednesday morning. First, a couple of news bits, Andy, where did you want to start? I just feel like there were just two kind of 
kind of sad pieces of news in the ether. Um, and I know I, I've been going over that email Jacoby sent us again, like in 2012. And he said, always start with jokes about turning off Bunsen flames and reading pro football talk. And then second, sad news, lead with sad news. Yeah, right. You know, like get everyone bummed out. But but for real, I, I, I felt like we just had to comment on the Bruce Willis story that broke yesterday that Bruce Willis is retiring from acting, I guess, essentially effective immediately due to a deteriorating mental condition, he aphasia. suffers from aphasia. Um, so, so he struggles with memory and he struggles with expressing himself. And I, I just, I, no great takes other than I just, so sad. Like Bruce Willis, a titan of our youth and adulthood in cinemas, right? Like, and, and, and as I was saying to you when we were texting, first of all, he was as good as anyone has ever been at doing that a very specific thing that he did. And that mixture of like machismo and sly kind of winking commentary is what action movies are now. Like he invented that with Die Hard and uh, which still I think is the movie I've seen more than any other movie. But I, I, I have you ever rewatchable that? Yeah. Have we done that? We I did, hosted huh? that, yeah. Did you? Yeah. I think it was a big week on the NFL waiver wire. <laughs> so I you think were that's distracted. probably why I missed it. Yeah. I mean, it was probably like a lot going on. You know, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about edge rushers. You were so, like, did Jeremiah Trotter? You know, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I missed it. It's a couple years ago. Um, but also, you know, it was just kind of heavy to think about. Um, I, almost like feeling the totality of a person's career, you know, because you and I are old enough that we probably both learned about Bruce Willis by watching Moonlighting, even if we were staying up too late past our bedtimes to watch it and mm-hmm. being like, this guy's awesome, you know? Yeah, you were um, commenting about how it's strange to be uh, watching people kind of retire or step away from their professions. I feel this way with athletes all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I very much uh, like associate my professional adulthood with LeBron James in a lot of ways. In, and, in terms of your commitment to excellence? Yeah, and just also like bringing my friends up with me, like you, you know, like you kind of are like my St. Mary's basketball team. Always. Making sure you're always taken care of. Always. Um, no, I mean, in all seriousness, it's an, it's a terribly sad story. One of the things that it made me think about, and it, it's it, people should check out this LA Times story because they get very much into the last few years of Willis's right. career, which has been marked with his very prolific participation in the VOD straight to streamer genre movie, like mostly action movie market. And, um, you know, Nick Cage also was doing this a lot for a mm-hmm. few years and he was pretty candid about the fact that he was doing it to pay off debts and was like, you know, I had a, a tremendous amount of, um, of debt and I had to do all this, but I never phoned it in. And, and, you know, like some of those movies become, uh, kind of mystery science theater, ironic, laugh along classics and I I don't I honestly haven't seen any of these Bruce Willis movies that have been coming out over the last couple of years but it was it was kind of like sad to think about the circumstances that led him yeah. to be in those movies and I you know can't really speculate as to why he was making five VOD movies a year or or sometimes more but uh yeah like really one of like the biggest movie stars of my entire lifetime and definitely like a completely formative pop culture figure for both of us well it's hard to spec i mean one shouldn't speculate but at the same time like the la times article suggests it's a pretty huge payday for very relatively little work and i think there's a there's a positive read of that which is just like if he had a sense or he and his family had a sense that time was limited he wanted to be doing what he loved to do and what he was recognized and celebrated for doing there's a slightly less rosy version of it where it's a cash grab but you know those motivations are not for us to speculate on it's just he was so good you know and i just i i i i got a little choked up thinking about like just the the arc of those action movies like obviously the diehard ones and and this will surprise no one that you know considering that our podcast begins with an audio clip from Born Legacy, universally recognized by no one but us as the best movie in that series. But Die Hard with a Vengeance still slaps. Oh, like, yeah. One of the great New I, York movies. I yeah. love that movie. Um, but just thinking about him, like, not just, you know, later career triumphs like Looper, but like, he's great in Moonrise Kingdom. You know, oh, yeah. really smart, sly, sensitive actor. And, and you know, I, I, just, I, I just feel a little sad that we won't get to see him be Clint Eastwood. Type, yeah, you know, because he had the demeanor and the charisma to to certainly to be that. Um, so we're we're fans. We wish him and his family well. Um, and then other one other just really kind of just devastating bummer of the week was the passing of Taylor Hawkins, the drummer of Foo Fighters. Not much more to add to the general discourse. I mean, if Dave Grohl is like, you got to be my drummer, then clearly you're one of the greatest of your generation. And for people of our age, like just 
knowing through the screen what a charming and delightful person and performer he was. Like his, his performance in the Big Me video where they recreated the Mentos commercial is still iconic. Um, I just wanted to share one small anecdote because like 15, 16 years ago now, Spin sent me to LA. Obviously, I lived in New York um, to do a Foo Fighters cover story. And I spent the day at their um, their studio in the Valley, the one that is, I guess, the subject of that horror movie they made last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was this year, but yeah. It was this year, right. Couldn't, I mean, this will also surprise no one, couldn't be a nicer group of fellas. Just like at, at that point, I was like, man, these guys are old and really know how to be alive. And they were probably like 33 or something. I know. Uh, which is hard to imagine, but couldn't have been nicer, more welcoming, long chats, gave me Girl toured me around like all the gold records, all the things that he had, you know, we had displayed on the wall. And Taylor Hawkins was of a room full of friendly people, the warmest and friendliest of all. And really, really, really wanted to talk to me about uh, Joe Walsh, <laughs> Eagles guitarist Joe Walsh. Not really my forte. I think the limits of my Joe Walsh knowledge was that he famously gave a record the laziest title of all time, which is Got Any Gum. It's like the best record title of all time. It, but okay. it really, really is. Yeah. Um, but wait, doesn't Ronnie Wood have a record called like, guess I'll make a solo album then? Or yeah, something like or that? it's like, that's me, folks, or something. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> but it's in yeah. that same vibe. Yeah. But um, anyway, we had this long talk and he was just proselytizing for like why Joe Walsh mattered so much. And did I know his early obscure stuff that was out of print? And I was like, no, no, but I'll check it out. And he's like, that's out of print. I don't know how you're going to check it out. Anyway, long day ends. I, I go out of the parking lot of the studio and I get in my rented Kia or whatever it was to drive back to the hotel. And all of a sudden there's a pounding on my window and it's Taylor Hawkins and he's just standing there pounding on my window like, roll it down, roll it down, roll it down. And he hands me his own personal burned bootleg copy of Joe Walsh's Barnstorm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he's like, I just want you to have this. Did you rock like, this? Did you, did you let it rip? The whole way back to West Hollywood, baby. Yeah. And were you trying super hard to get into it? Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying Joe Walsh's Barnstorm is my favorite record. I'm just saying this dude was so kind and generous. He just ran and gave me a CD. I don't know. I just can't stop thinking about that moment. Obviously, people who really knew him and his family have deeper and more, you know, more important memories to share. It's just it's just it's just incredibly sad. Um, he, he was he, he was at all just an, seemed like an awesome, awesome guy. And like, you, you, the one thing that really like jumped out at me about him is, and what was the name of that Foo Fighters HBO show that we loved so much? Was that Sonic Highways from a couple oh, years yeah, ago? Oh yeah, 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 of course. Um, yeah. And he makes, I think some appearances in that, but man, like there are some people who do what they do because it's just what they've, they've always done and maybe they have a good gig doing it and it's a job. And he strikes me and has always struck me as somebody uh, who did it because he loved it. Like, he yeah. fucking loved rock, like, a lot. And if people can bring themselves to do it, I recommend they check out, there's a YouTube video of his last performance with Foo Fighters uh, in Chile. And he comes out from behind the drum kit and does Queen Somebody to Love. He sings and Grohl drums. And the way he introduces it is by being like, do you guys want to see Dave Grohl fucking drum? And it's like, yes, everybody wants that. But then Taylor does like a pretty good facsimile of, of Freddie Mercury. And they do the entire song with a huge long drum solo from Grohl. And Hawkins is just like beaming. It's, it's like, he's just like, this is the best. I have like, honestly, the best drummer, <laughs> one of the best drummers of all time. Who is in? I'm. I play drums for him, and he's just going hammer on this kit. And they've got like backup singers doing the somebody to love, and it's just like this awesome, awesome celebration of this guy's life. Uh, and I, I, I recommend people check it out if 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 they if they feel he'd love he loved rock music. He fucking it's loved so, it, man. It's so it was so nice that someone still did. You know, with that 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 passion, it was cool. Hard pivot. I wanted to ask you one newsy question before we yeah. got into like our show breakdowns. I don't know if you noticed that uh, there was a, an announcement this week that uh, House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones prequel HBO mm -hmm. is doing, is coming on August 28th, I believe. It's August 20, 21st. August 21st. Which is um, kind of cheeky. Kind of little mm. sharp elbows mm. on, on, the part of, uh, on the part of HBO because Lord of the Rings is actually premiering September 1st, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to get your read on that. You know, like, everything's on all the time. Three episodes go up, whole seasons go up. You know, we're getting, we're getting hit from every angle with, with new shows, with shows that are returning. We barely know what to do with ourselves in April. 
But I, I did find that there was like some old school, like we like our hand yeah. going on here by HBO. And, you know, to the extent that you think that um, media coverage of shows somehow does or doesn't make or break one. You know, I think that when a, when, when a bunch of voices come out and say like, this is a masterpiece, I think it helps like a show, obviously. If uh, there's like a huge fan reaction, it obviously helps. And there's a lot of conversation online. But I don't think that these two shows basically going up against one another is necessarily going to affect the viewership of one or the other. But I did find it really interesting that uh, it was like not so fast Padawan kind of yeah. you know, like well two things one I found out about it instantly because you know after slow horses I have an Olivia Cook Google News alert set okay yeah and she's the star or one of the stars of of House of the Dragon so I you know obviously we're gonna be talking about slow horses soon two uh, I think this is absolutely being interpreted correctly by you I think that it speaks to a a really healthy amount of confidence that HBO must be feeling for the quality of this show. Because to think about it in a, in a, in a macro sense, like they have as close to a sure thing as they're going to have in the next few years in that they have not just new Game of Thrones content, but new Game of Thrones content with dragons. And it's the first one out the gate. Like even if they had gone ahead with the, whether it ended up being called the long night or whatever, but the aborted uh, the spinoff series show. that they yeah. had, the first episode would have gotten a ton of eyeballs. I think that they made the assessment that it wasn't good enough to merit repeated viewings, so they didn't go with it. So, th- so they know they have something as close to a sure thing as they can have in this world. I bring that up because if they, there's no shame in going after Lord of the Rings because you'd have to imagine that if Lord of the Rings is good, there's still Game of Thrones interest. If Lord of the Rings isn't good, mm-hmm. HBO's Mary Stuart Masterson and some kind of wonderful. I've been here loving you the whole time, baby. Just pay attention. You know what I mean? Like they just have your reliable. I think content. that's exactly what they were thinking in the scheduling programming department. Is they just had a picture of MSM from some kind of wonderful, Listen, and they were like, "That's we, us." We know Casey Bloys a little bit. Like generationally, that fits. I feel sure. like I feel like he, he would cite that movie. Speaking of Casey, I also think that his control and you know and sort of unification of of HBO and HBO Max brands. Part of that has come from a deep understanding of how to translate the HBO culture that we have always either rated correctly or overrated for the digital streaming age. And I think that that culture is supreme confidence. You know, like you guys can keep chasing noisy stuff and spending money and throwing stuff, but we're just going to be here making TV shows that people are going to want to watch. And I like it, by the way. Not just I like the show. We don't know if it's going to be good or not, but I like the cheekiness. I like the competitive yeah. spirit. And I feel like... You know, we we sometimes do cover the streaming wars and things like like sports teams, but that that's probably got to make the HBO team, let alone, you know the marketing team, let alone the people in development, feel pretty good. You know I that they're remember, not running did, scared from these big 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 did boys. Did other shows used elves. to clear out from Game of Thrones? Yeah, yeah right. Like HBO used yeah. Game of Thrones to prop up or launch other shows or like give give other shows right. a lot of exposure. But if I remember correctly, it would just be like, oh yeah, those are the 10 weeks that Thrones is on. So all the other big Sunday shows or big dramas or big prestige shows will probably like yeah. be before uh, or after. So it's kind of wild to see them just be like, if you want to be the boss, you got to pay the cost a little bit to, to Elrond, you know? Yes, <laughs> yes. Elrond Hubbard, is that who you're speaking of? <laughs> no, the, the elf dude. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I, I I think it I I do think it's pretty cool and like not to uh, expand too far from the specific point, but like the little things that people in our seats like to overrate or at least focus or fixate on do matter in the sense that like there's also been a um it's not even a scandal, but like Kim Masters, our favorite assassin at the Hollywood Reporter, had a story this week about Bob Chapek at Disney being potentially in hot water. Um, not think, specifically because he is in hot water. Yeah. Yes. But not, not, he's in hot water specifically in, over the last few weeks because of Disney's bizarre, um, two step about the Florida don't say gay bill and all that. But they, she used that as a way to talk about why his tenure is perceived as being shaky regardless. And a lot of it has to do with just communication style, right? Mm-hmm. Leadership style, con- the, the confidence that you're projecting in the way that you're dealing with people and dealing with situations that actually leak into the media. And like, that stuff matters. 
it, it, it does, it does matter, you know, ultimately it's not, doesn't matter as much as whether the shows or the content, you know, the quality of that, like that's probably where we should begin and end most conversations. But I, I, I think it's a pretty, it's a bullish indication of where HBO and HBO Max are, but I think it's also a reasonable one considering the year, year and a half that they're coming off of. Should we stick with the mouse and talk about Moon Knight? All right, let's do it in love. Get down to the gift shop, you. Uh, Great stuff. We didn't talk about this before the show, so Crack I don't it. know whether whether we mm-hmm. are going to agree. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a testament to how much I like Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke that I am trying to like basically keep an open mind about this, right? Because okay, I thought the first episode they made a few episodes available to critics. I kind of just decided to watch the first one partially just because I was watching other stuff, but also because like. I didn't want to be like, oh, it gets really good in four or it gets really bad by three or whatever. But I don't think I can remember a choice this extreme in a major Mm -hmm. franchise blockbuster level TV show like the one that Mm -hmm. Oscar Isaac is doing where like he basically is is got a mood board. If you're talking about Mary Stuart Masterson being up Mm -hmm. on a on a cork board in the HBO programming department. I feel like Oscar Isaac's got like two pictures on his wall. Okay. Ace Ventura yeah. and the mask. And he's, he is going for it. The, the, the Eric Stoltz movie mask, the no, Peter Bogdanovich just, directed the other Jim Carrey movie. Like just oh, the, like okay, right. the, the real somebody stop me vibes coming yeah. off. Him. Not, not necessarily always a, not in a bad way. You know what I sure. mean? But it is, it is definitely like you got to get your hands around this one a little bit. It takes a second. I we haven't talked about this. I loved it. I knew you I were loved it. Do this. I loved it. I thought that it was first of all like I I don't think this is a controversial take to say that if it's not Ethan Hawke and Oscar Isaac, it's probably bad. Mm-hmm. Like it, it not bad, but it's it's serviceable. You know, I don't actually want to overrate their performances or just their charisma too much because I thought that the construction of the episode and the approach to a very challenging, odd character were excellent. And I thought the um, the direction by Mohammed Diab was really exemplary, like surprising, fluid, lively, um, had a lot of personality. But I, I just loved the tenor of it. Basically because Oscar Isaac, one of our great actors, was like, yeah, I want to have fun with this. Like, I, what, what appeals to me about this isn't that I'm going to get to wear, uh, you know, get, get buff and like punch people, which at least through one episode, he doesn't do at all. He was like, I want to, I'm interested he, in the parts he, he of the punches character. punches the, the, the ghost jaguar or whatever. The, yeah, but is that, that's like CGI Moon Knight. Yeah. I don't even know if that's him. Like right. I, he himself is an actor. Pedro like, Pascal, I think he did, he did that work. <laughs> I think he was, you know, he's has a lot of free time because he's rarely on the set of the Mandalorian. Um, he, what, it, what appealed to him about this was the parts that made it a tricky proposition, the disassociative personality disorder, the potential to make really big choices. And then even within those choices, have it kind of work because I think, you know, as we'll learn, these are all manifestations or different, you know, different personalities existing within one person who was not raised in Hackney or wherever. So the Dick Van Dykiness of his accent. Mary Poppins's purse. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. It can be, can be a little bit, a little bit forgiven, but I, I, I thought that of all of, well, certainly WandaVision did this too, but this is the first Marvel series since WandaVision to be like, here we go. Right from jump, like I, we're, we're going to put you into something else and see how you feel about it. And that's, you know, maybe our bar has has gotten really low, but like that's that's kind of all I want out of these things is I just want a different way in to what it will presumably be a relatively familiar journey. So I, I think that there is some stuff tonally that I did like a lot. Like, you know, sometimes I, I wonder whether or not I actually need director bullshit to get through the night to, to help me find my mm-hmm, way through mm-hmm. the dark. Because it, sometimes those kinds of, um, you know, those buoys help you a little bit. Like, oh, okay, and now I, I see what you're going for. And, and yeah. there are shows like WandaVision, for instance, that are so formally kind of... Um, high concept that you immediately kind of recognize what you're dealing with, even if it's very like, what what's what could happen next? Are they going to the 70s or what's happening? Uh, I thought Moon Knight kind of had a little bit of Sam Raimi 
a little bit of, yeah. you know, Cohen's stuff. Not a lot, but a little bit. And I thought it was very um, noticeable a little, how... A little Jacob's Ladder, too. Remember that movie? Oh, yeah. I feel like, that, I feel like that Joel was... Joel Schumacher? I think it was Schumacher. So I think there was a little Schumacher in there. Um, yeah, a little, little shoe. Just a, mm-hmm. just a dab. Um, it was really nice how unencumbered it was by other MCU stuff. Oh, my God. They didn't talk about the blip. Yeah, no blip, no superheroes, just Ethan Hawke wearing mandals and walking on glass and having uh, doing cool <laughs> tattoo tricks. And, and holding sway with the power of an Egyptian god over a Swiss ski town? Yeah, yes. Great, classic. The Swiss, very trusting people. Very I trusting. Like the MCU's vision of Europe... It's is, amazing. It, is pretty, it's pretty tempestuous, right? <laughs> to be fair, Chris, like... Sokovia was a major <laughs> disruptor in the life of contemporary Europe and the European Union. You remember Tony Tony Jude wrote that book like like post war, basically yeah. about how everything in Europe has to be seen through the lens of what. And I imagine he probably caked up writing a sequel after the Sokovia fiasco. I'm, I'm you know sure I mean? he did very well for himself. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, so. I, I think that when you were watching this at all, I heard Charles and Van and Joe, me and Steve talking about this on Mid- Midnight Boys. Was there any part of you that was like, this could just be a movie? This would actually be a really cool movie? Yes. And it probably could have or would have been a really cool movie. But I, I, I and again, I want to tread lightly here. I've only watched the first episode. Yeah. Um, That's the only one but, most people have watched. So No, no, yeah. I know. But, but, yeah. but as you, as you, um, as you uh, humble brag, bragged moments ago, you had access to others. Right. Some, some people did. So I just want to make it clear that I'm I'm the voice of the common man here. Yeah, I'm I, I work in the museum. I just shop. pretend to, to be like a common man. Yeah, by not with watching your, my screeners, it's by looking at the football waiver wire instead of watching your screeners. Oh my um, god, Bruce Arians retired. <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing that I find so appealing is the where you started this conversation, which was Husker Isaac's having some fun with the opportunities being presented to him, and as. You know, I think he said this in interviews and he said this to us when we had him on our podcast a year ago. Ethan Hawke was like, I wasn't looking to be the villain in a Marvel TV show. Oscar called and was like, you want to come hang out in Europe and do this fun thing? And he was like, yes, I do. And that spirit is more TV to me, you know, like that they really are playing and having a go and having a laugh and seeing what it what it turns into. And it struck this might to me this might really just come down to what a strong actor he is but mm-hmm. it i really enjoyed the balance that it found between playing wake me up before you go go and the kind of you know existential gods and goddesses museum horror that it was also playing with like i it, it found a nice it found a nice balance there like and then they also were like yeah let's hire f Marie abraham to, to to be the voice in his head calling him an idiot while he resets his jaw like yeah, let's try these things. Let's go. It's just, it's a delicate balance sometimes, but there was a feeling of adventure and fun in this that forgave whatever mistakes or whatever flaws may have been percolating yeah, I guess just for me. I'm kind of like just, you know what it is, is that when you watch something like this, and, I, and I've and i kind of felt this way a couple of times when Sam Raimi has made, whether it's a Spider-Man movie or like, you know, I'd be really curious to see like his Doctor Strange because yeah. it's like, I think I associate a certain... Um, not gore, but extremity mm-hmm. with Sam Raimi. And he can mm-hmm. find that in the PG, PG-13 restrictions that are usually placed on you if you're making a superhero movie. But I kind of want, like, I want kind of the fucked up extreme version of this show. And I just have to recalibrate that, like, this is I on see. Disney+. Plus. I- it's not going to be scary. It's not going to be lit gothically. Or, you know, it's, it's going to be Ethan Hawke wearing Yeezy season robes like in the middle of the Alps. And, and you know, like that, that I just have to like, every time an MCU show starts, I feel like I always am like, oh, I thought this was going to be like Last Boy Scout, but it, it's not. The fun you know one, what I mean? yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's an inherent silliness to the character. And, and we, I, I did this kind of, I did this like Moon Knight 101 thing before, but the quicker version of it is like the character exists because Marvel is like, what if we had Batman? Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the years since, they different aspects were added to the personality that he's the embodiment of this Egyptian God, that he has multiple personalities. There's a voice in his head. There's been different uh, ways to interpret the character. The, I think now pretty much disgraced and exiled comic book writer, Warren Ellis did a big 
reimagining reboot of them a few years ago. They had great design. I should shout out the artists. I don't have them off the top of my head, but like took that the cowl suit that we're seeing and reimagined it as just like a guy with a hood over his with a basically like a the cloth over his face wearing an immaculate white suit, you mm-hmm. know, and playing into the the just the 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 extremity to use your word of multiple personalities in a you know, Egyptian dealer of night violence. So I think some of that is in here and it's tough to find. In comics, it's easier to be both silly and commenting on the silly and also dark. And I think that they're finding their way through that. But I think it's I think it's baked in. And I just really loved the fact that generally when an actor puts on a cowl or agrees to do this sort of part, they amplify in one specific direction, whether that's Christian Bale's voice that he does, that, that he did to become Batman. I haven't seen the Batman yet. I think people listening have assumed that because I just haven't quite had a three and a half hour hole in my schedule recently to do it. I would like to see it. I would love to talk about it with you when I do. You know, it's coming, everything- you're going to have it on HBO Max before oh, you know it. Just, just, just as they all intended. But like... <laughs> From what I understand, Pattinson did a similar thing, right? Like you sort of, you you steer your abilities into what you perceive to be the correct skid for the character. Like that's what's expected of it. So I do my version of it. And yeah. I what I loved about this was Oscar Isaac can do that. And at the end, when he's more Mark Spector, shout out one of Marvel's prominent Jewish superheroes, looking into the mirror, he's doing the gravelly voice. Like he does, I yeah, like you, when this. he does, when they have that, and I, you know, spoilers for, I guess we've also talked a little bit about this, but yeah. in the final scene of the first episode yeah. and it's the the mirror battle, you know, the other Oscar Isaac, the born, the born legacy Oscar Isaac is in that mirror yeah. and you're like, and oh I yeah, love like, he, yeah. He can do that, but this is as easy a switch to flip for him as the other. And I think that makes it a more elastic and surprising and just, pleasant, fun performance that like he, he got to play the two ends of it. Ex- you know what? You know, I'm happy in, in, that you're happy. I, you know, happy. I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, it's not that I don't have a take on the show yet. It's just that I, I think I thought it was going to be a little bit different. I, I mean, I also, yes. think a, a lot of this first episode is but, in the trailer too. So I was like, kind of like, yep, saw this part, saw this part. But, but I, I also think that so far, you know, and, and at this point, so much time has passed and so much discourse has, has has been written or expressed. Like, I I think WandaVision is probably underrated. Like, I, I was so down on what it turned into that I'm definitely, like, undervaluing how strong and surprising and creative the beginning was. So I, I, I want to be mindful of that. But at the same time, this show, Jeremy Slater was the is the credited uh, creator and writer. Uh, um, and with what Michael Waldron did with Loki, like, the, these are the two that, to my mind just hit the ground running being like, we're going to do this. Yeah. You know, I know what I'm going to, I I have a sense of what what world this is and how I'm going to take you into it. And, you know, for as much as we want to give those creators credit, I also think that, that, that the, 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 the people in similar roles on like Hawkeye and Winter Soldier, that's much dicier terrain because those are very, very, very um, connected, continuity-heavy characters with a lot of... Um, baggage from the mm-hmm. movies that they had to be worked out at the same time. So those were not, I, I, I don't mean, I, I just want to be always be mindful when I say that because it's not like all of these jobs are equal in terms of the potential for meddling or the potential for expectations and what people are checking for. They're, these are minefields. And so far through one episode, I just thought it was it. light. Yeah, which I didn't expect. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com watch. That's mintmobile.com watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. 
When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. You're talking about um, knowing what you are. You're talking about hitting the ground running. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Slow Horses, which premieres tomorrow. Uh, we're on the first. New Apple show. We've talked about it on this podcast before. It's a, a six-episode spy thriller adapted from um, the first book in the uh, Slough House series by Mick Heron. It's about basically loser spies. Spies who have been cast out of like the circles of power in the MI5 and are working in a satellite office above a Chinese restaurant you know, in a rainy, well, it's always raining in London, but like it seems to rain especially a lot in this neighborhood. And it's a group of spies who are being overseen by a guy named Jackson Lamb, who's played amazingly by Gary Oldman, who now has two iconic spy performances under his belt with this and George Smiley and Tinker Taylor. And uh, if you want to talk about a show that hits the ground running, and we won't spoil it for people because, you know, because we, we got to see episodes beforehand, but it comes out tomorrow. Maybe my favorite first scene in a show in the last like five years in terms of you get a sense of the visual style, you get a sense of the sensibility of the writing, the humor, and the sort of uh, the boundaries of the way in which the show, where, where the show is going to be working. Like, you know mm -hmm. what is and isn't out of bounds for this show. And inside of those boundaries, inside of that sandbox, like what they, what they get away with and what they play with and the charm the just sheer charm of this cast and this show, it is like executive produced by Graham Yost and the easiest way I can describe it is it is Justified made, if Justified was an English spy show. Yeah, I mean, I think people who listen to us regularly know that we were always going to be the softest targets for a spy show, especially a spy show set in contemporary London. And then you get Gary Oldman involved. Like, it the more information that came out about the show, the more clear it was that we were going to love it. But even so, I was really impressed with the first episode. It is a masterclass in bringing you into a world and making you comfortable there. And um, to your point exactly, like just communicating the facts, the stakes, and just the sort of the general uh, contours of the playground that we're going to be in. You know, it, it's funny. But it's a little bit serious too. The stakes are where they are, you know, and and you kind of just you just get it. And there's this moment in it that I was so impressed by when and, and as 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 Chris alluded, like we're following specifically a character named River Cartwright, who in the beginning is a promising agent MI5 and then finds himself in the in the doghouse or in the slough house yeah. with, with the rest of the, the the losers who are a motley and 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 fun bunch to be with, including Olivia Cook, who I think is really good as as Sid, maybe the least losery of the losers, at least in the early going. But uh, there's a scene where he has to return back to Regent's Park, where the posh, classy MI5 office is, and it's it's also just some great workplace comedy that he has to like get a minder and take a picture with the get a temporary know, the, pass to get into the building and stuff, get a lanyard yeah. to go in. Um, and he has an interaction with his rival, who's just a great character played by a great British character actor, uh, Freddie Fox, who, as we noted when he was in The Pursuit of Love last summer, is not the rapper, also known as Bumpy Knuckles. But again, I do think that we should create some sort of transatlantic 
um, trade where we could potentially swap them yeah, like, at any but, given like, moment in time. I don't think that the character of River would have gotten away with what, with what he gets exactly. away with with that guy if it was actually Freddie Fox. I wish that in the world there was a button we could just hit every so often and they would swap. Yeah. At any moment in their lives. But anyway, in that scene, um, and this is not a spoiler, it's just, it's just scene craft. It's just good writing. And the series was adapted by a guy named Will Smith, who is, if, I don't think he was Googleable before. I think this week has particularly <laughs> been a tough beat for him. But um, in this scene- Can you imagine the, if we had him on the pod today? And Kyle was like, just like, today on the pod, Will Smith. <laughs> that was the headline. We, we screwed up. Yeah. Kaya, Kaya's crying SEO tears It's just like right this now. British guy from the Ianucci tree. And it's like, yeah, like, what, what you guys hey, are mate. expecting? Yeah. So the character Freddie Fox plays is, guy, is, is nicknamed Spider Web. And he basically takes a moment where he's just like, do you know why it's called Slough House, even though Slough is not London? And the River's just like, yes, I, I do know. And then the guy explains it. And he explains it for the audience. Yeah. Because a narrator could explain it. But he explains it, and we're like, oh, now we know, especially an international audience that doesn't understand the significance of saying slough when it's not London. And then River gets to put, you know, a little cap on the whole thing, being like, it's not actually a joke if you have to explain it. That's just a tiny bit of script writing. Yes. You know, but it's it's elegant. It's elegant. It's like not dumbing down for us, the audience learning about this world, but it's also welcoming us in, in a way that I think puts everyone at ease. And then you add to it just that, Everything that I think Apple, in the best case scenario, can do for a project, which is bring rent, on rent a, out London, <laughs> a plus people, and literally <laughs> yeah. rent out London, and then yeah. get out of the way because the vibes here are immaculate. Like the rain, the takeaway, the the streets, the buses, just the feel for a place. Even the building of Slough House itself, you know, the creaking staircase, the up and down, the understanding the geography of where the characters are, so that when Gary Oldman's minder. Uh, wants someone to come to him, he just stamps on the floor. You know, Yeah, he hits the bottom of the floor with the broom, yeah. It's completely realized and lived in in a way where, and I think anyone watching this, even if you're not as gaga for this stuff as we are, like, turn it on, you'll be like, oh, we're in good hands. We're going to yeah. watch this. No, I mean, the I think the other point you were going to make was just that, or you, you, the point you just made is is right, which is you if you get Kristen Scott Thomas to play yes. the director of operations for MI5 the way they do, and... She's essentially, I think, I don't know how many scenes she's in, but it's like not a huge part. It's just a hugely important part. Yes, right. Uh, but like Kristen Scott Thomas can communicate so much like about that character because she's just so fucking good. So she can roll her eyes or she can arch an eyebrow or mm -hmm. she can put her hands in her pockets. And like the way that they kind of like they dress the characters tells you so uh, much about them like the ties. Uh, Gary Oldman character is just an absolute slob with holes in his socks. Kristen Scott Thomas looks like like the Anna Wintour of at the MI of MI5 and just like the way that they kind of construct all these people. I I, I hope people who are hearing us uh give it give it a chance because it's Can, pretty awesome. We shouldn't also say like Again, it's just an embarrassment of riches because River's career is saved because he's, he's the grandson of a famous MI5 operative and River goes to see his grandfather and like make dinner for him and they sip whiskey by a fire. And look, if you're making a British spy show, I want immaculate people talking shit about fascism in front of a roaring fire. Like that's, yes. that's part of what you expect when you buy the ticket. And I, it wouldn't matter who was sitting there, honestly, as long as they were wearing a nice suit. But it's Jonathan Price. And Jonathan Price, one of the great English actors who generally gets hired to do more extravagant Jonathan Price things like he did on Game of Thrones. But guess what all these British master thespians can also do? They can sit in chairs and just hold your fucking attention. You know? Did you know what's it, also great about that scene? Awesome. And I, I don't want to like be like, here's another great part of this first episode that people haven't gotten a chance to see it. But that scene you're talking about, which is just basically another exposition scene where mm -hmm. you find out why was he excommunicated from the service. Why was River sent out and all this stuff? There's just like a brief second where they have like a little argument about like whether the lemons are fresh enough mm -hmm. to make a chicken, like this chicken well, dish that what, they're Should you do? store them in the refrigerator or should you store them on the counter? Don't need to have that in there, but it's perfect. It's like make these people feel like a little bit alive by having them have a digressive yeah. conversation. The, the, and, and that's throughout. It's a great call by you to mention that because I think that often when we are more critical of shows... It's because the plot machine has taken up all the space and there isn't room for just a single line like that. And, and really, it's my perhaps tiresome to some people um, spice market diatribe. Like, just yeah. show me something real. 
give me a sense of something lived in almost as a white balance for all the other bright stuff that you're showing. Now I understand it. These are real people, but crazy stuff's happening. But they still argue over how best to store citrus in a what I imagine to be a very humid circumstance in in London, um, judging by the judging by the, the, the precipitation. You'll know soon enough. It's true. It's true. I'm going to Slough House. Yeah. Um, what do you want to do next? Because I think you know a, a good example of a show that maybe has struggled a bit as it's gone on with how to communicate a personality while also dragging a bunch of exposition behind it is winning time. We are both fans of this show. I think strangely the way like the the vibe I'm getting is that we might be outliers in how much we like this show. I think part of that is because this is a, this is a, a show that kind of maybe wasn't wasn't made for anyone or wasn't made for everyone and now they're not sure who is supposed to watch it. There is this weird tension with this show where I think it's maybe not historically accurate enough for basketball historians. It's a little too explainery for people who are like, yep, I know how a fast break works, you know? But then it's a little dense for casuals, you know? And so it's kind of trying to find its footing here all the while, pretty much every episode and a half, introducing another major character and another major character and another major character to the extent now we're on episode four, which is my favorite of the season so far, where the Lakers go to Palm Springs for their their training camp and they their first training camp under their new coach, Jack McKinney, which played by one of the patron saints of the watch, Tracy Letts. Uh, Adrian Brody is like a bit player in this mm-hmm. episode. Like if it wasn't Adrian Brody and if he wasn't playing Pat Riley, you'd be like, that's just the, the guy who has the camera, like walking back yep. and forth. And um, there's some stuff that happens in this episode that I think like, if you don't like this, I don't know what to tell you. You know, like the ecstasy coming off the screen during the first scrimmage that Jack McKinney runs and then the subsequent scrimmages where they start to figure out how to play Showtime basketball is like, if there's better scenes this year, we'll be in luck, you know, because it's so exciting and viscerally like thrilling to watch them kind of figure this out. But I was kind of wondering where you were at with the show because I think it's kind of come in for a little bit of a, of an eye roll collectively from people. To quote a tweet that has been sent to us by countless egg avatars over the years, stick to sports. This was the first episode really to be about basketball. I mean, obviously the show is about more than basketball and it, and it should be, but it was very impressive to me the degree to which they got the basketball right. Not saying that like these actors were setting perfect pick and rolls or whatever. I, 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 I just mean the, it's really hard to film sports and make it seem incredibly hard. Yeah. Uh, as we've talked about, you know, I, I know. unfortunately the, the great film, Dr. Strange, you know, that was really, <laughs> it's only downside. And, you know, and we almost broke up with Sam Esmail over the, the basketball in season two of Mr. Robot to capture, not just the, the, the technical what's happening on the court, but like, as you say, the ecstasy of when it's flowing and the excitement and just the, the thrill that watching bodies in motion bring people who watch the sports, like to do that with the added piece of, of the character work and the emotion, I was really impressed by all of it. But I also was really impressed by the episode overall because this to me felt like a show fully finding its footing and finding itself. Last week we were talking about how it started to seem like the Adam McKay um, aesthetic formal innovations falling away a little bit. were falling away. Like they were just like every few shots will just cut to a different grain on the, you know, on the, on the, uh, on the footage. This week brought it roaring back oh my in God. a way that felt really natural and fun, whether it was Tracy Letts, uh, you know, uh, floating in, in the sort of like Zen utopia nirvana of basketball bliss or the way the yeah the way the camera was cutting the way you know losers the word loser goes on the screen every time Adrian Brody is there, it felt of a piece with the story that it wanted to tell. It was it was vibrant. It was fun. It was surprising. It was very as it always has been entertaining. And I'm curious about this idea that we're outliers by enjoying it. I I do think that we're all a little like Twitter broken and discourse broken because this show doesn't fit into the kind of, I mean, to pull from the episode, the kind of like you're A team, I'm B team uh, way that we tend to talk about things now. Like this Mm -hmm. is either 
the best thing ever or it's absolutely like, you know, evilly intend, intentioned bullshit. I, I think that the show is devilishly entertaining, which is really all it needed to be. But I'm pretty thrilled and a little bit inspired by the electricity of the project as it rolls along. Because every week we talk about how we're awash in ripped from the headlines mm-hmm. types of stories, and we're about to talk about another one. And they all seem to follow a similar aesthetic script, like a certain you know slavish devotion to the, the historical record or to the way things might have looked or felt. And this show just doesn't care about that. And now I understand that people are sore about like that might not actually be how Jerry West behaved or whatever. And I don't want to speak to the discomfort one might feel of having one's life or legacy treated for LOLs in a TV show. I, I can't, I hope that never happens. And we should, you know, we should back channel with Casey because I know that HBO still technically controls the rights to our friendship because of some kind of dodgy paperwork we signed around Talk the Thrones. But all that aside, speaking purely like the product on the screen, it's really exciting to watch yeah. the show. It is so fun to have great actor after great actor show up and just just do do their do their damnedest to like elevate this thing. You know, there, it, and there, to see it all sing on the court, it's a good metaphor for what the what the series as a whole did with this episode. That, like Damian Marcano directed this episode at one point. I think I read read an article about like his like sort of the behind the scenes of how he shot the basketball stuff. He had cameramen on rollerblades. You know, I mean, that's what this show cool. is, is that kind of like, let's just throw it all the wall and see what sticks. Some stuff's going to drop off, you know, and there are points where it seems so fractured and so consumed with like having every single element mm-hmm. get its screen time, you know, so it's like, it's not just Kareem and Magic driving out to the desert and Norm Nixon driving out to the desert. It's also Michael Cooper driving out to the desert and they all got to be driving out mm-hmm. to the desert and Julian Nicholson's got to be driving J- Jack McKinney and here's Jerry Buss and his car and it's like, I got it. We're all driving, but like it has to, it really wants it all. It's a maximalist show and then there are points in the show like during those scrimmages where they're cutting to animation. They're cutting to voiceover oh, from multiple different yeah. characters. They're cutting to illustrations on top of footage. They're cutting to the footage that Pat Riley supposedly, you know, not the actual footage, but VHS tape that Pat Riley was in charge of shooting to make a basically a demo tape that Jerry West wants to see that's green tinted because he can't get the color tint right in the camera. It's like, if you can go along with the formalism of it and like the innovation in that side, I think that you can get over some of the occasionally very expository scenes of just like, this is who I am and this is what I want. And like a lot of what is happening on this show is a fait accompli. Like we know that they Laker girls are coming. So the five conversations that Claire Rothman and Jeannie Buss have about, well, we got to do something that just brings sexiness to the, what could that be? Yeah. What could we do? And then it's like, yes, finally we get to the last scene and it's the Laker girls. But, you know, I, 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 I can see why people would have trouble with it, but I find it exciting enough to watch that it doesn't bother me. I, I, I think that the maximalism of it suits the subject matter. Uh, it suits the ambition of the network that made it. And I also think it's worth suggesting that they, it doesn't get everything right. Like, it wants to be really good at everything on the court. And, for example, like, whatever psychological storytelling it was interested in exploring and unpacking with Jeannie Buss, like seeing as a child, seeing her father uh, working the baseline, let's say with a young lady who's definitely not her mother and then giving her father what he wants with the Laker girls. Like that's real heavy psychological lifting. Yeah. Did, does the, sh- does the show spend enough time in the gym to be able to do that deadlift? I'm not entirely sure that it did, but I think that, Hadley Robinson, who plays Jeannie Buss, is an unsung hero of the show. I think she's delivering a great, interesting performance. I think that um, similarly, like, I, I can't say enough about Quincy Isaiah's performance as Magic, or in this episode, we finally got more of Solomon Hughes' as Kareem. Like, that is almost impossible what those guys are doing, and they're doing it. Like, I believe that they are who they say they are, even they're two of the most famous people of our lifetimes, yeah. right? And I think that's I think that's really remarkable. Let's hit Plainville before we go. Yeah, so um, this is, you know, not, as, as as you were saying, Chris, like, it's interesting. Winning time, we're talking about maybe peaking in episode four. I've heard people say similar things about The Dropout, a show that I have yeah, fallen behind on. Yeah, the fourth episode of The Dropout to... is quite quite something, yeah. Um, so it feels a little bit 
hopefully not disrespectful, but certainly not complete to be talking about Girl from Plainville on Hulu after just one episode. But um, I did want to, f- to shout it out, not only because it was um, co-executive produced, co-show run by friend of the pod, Liz Hanna, but I was really impressed by it. And the reason I was impressed by it was precisely in response to some of the criticisms that I've been lobbing at the rip from the headlines docu-shows that we've been watching. The thing that I keep coming back to, like to use the first episode of The Dropout as a probably unfair punching bag, which is that Amanda Seyfried's performance is so thrilling and weird, and it feels crammed into a box that doesn't quite fit it or suit it, that because of the historical record being what it is, the ceiling of these shows artistically is 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 dropped, is lower, because mm-hmm. they can't take chances. And on paper, a show about the infamous um, involuntary ma- manslaughter via text case in Massachusetts that a lot of people in the country are aware of, that's what the show is based on, where a young man uh, took his life and then his ex or his girlfriend was put on trial for the text messages that she had sent him, potentially encouraging him to do it. I can't think of a topic that I am just off the jump less interested in spending time with on television. I, it, it seems dark. It, it's, you know, in the public record. But watching this first episode, which was directed by indie great Lisa Cholodenko and shot by Frederick Elmas, who is one of the great cinematographers of our time. Yeah. And David Lynch's preferred cinematographer, right? And, and, and larded with great, great actors like um, Elle Fanning at the peak of her powers. Um, I mean, you and I, I mean, what about Buono? I mean, she's always she's always top tier. Chloe Sevigny, um, yeah. Chloe Sevigny really bringing it. Um, and Butts, man. you Don't sleep on Norbert Leo Butts. First never. of all, star of the stage, but, you know, always loved that dude in Bloodline. He, uh, the show <laughs> does something that I just think should be, is noteworthy, which is, this is uh, material that is both upsetting and potentially salacious. And I thought the first episode had a really, really tight, tight artistic sense of itself and sense and feeling of control um, that I was very impressed by. I, I, it's hard to say that a, a show with, about the subject matter that also features Elle Fanning giving an, an extra performance, I think probably an appropriate one, but still an extra one. It's hard to say that it something like this is understated, but that mm-hmm. was my takeaway from the episode in a way that really impressed me because it felt like a project that had a reason for being and something to say other than potentially the fact that they got a good deal on the life rights or an article option, you know, at, at some point recently and thus got a straight to series order, which is, again, I'm using these other series as straw men. That's not why these shows exist necessarily, but it's just reflective of the kind of sentiment that I've been building about the industry and where it's been over the last six months. And it was nice to have this as an antidote so far. It kind of reminded me of, uh, this, I, I remember this BBC show, or maybe it was a Channel 4 show from a few years ago called uh, Southcliffe, which was about a mm. mass shooting in a town. Sean Durkin, who's a really great filmmaker, made it. And uh, I think Sean Harris, who people probably know from the Mission Impossible movies, plays the the shooter. And it's essentially like this town kind of trying to come to grips with this seemingly random ma- like act of horrific violence. And it's basically like, Remember when we were talking about like the bad news relay a couple of years ago where it was like, Oh yeah. With um, Broadchurch. Broadchurch and like just that moment where, you know, this absolute tragedy gets related to a bunch of people and like people, you know, fall to their knees and it's kind of like this, this real like gut wrenching moment. And the way that almost everything so far in Plainville has been handled really reminds me more of like this. And I think appropriately so like this, almost British sensibility of being like just the facts. And like, even when Chloe Sevigny is like, and she's in her bat, the bathroom texting and finds out yes. about, and and her, uh, I think it's her husband. Who's like, are you with the girls her, right her now? Ex, or something? Yeah. Her ex. Like they don't play that for maximum devastation. It's really like another, um, it's just another event that they're documenting. And I think that there's a real, like obviously artistry to what like the, the the direction and the cinematography is doing the writing is is top notch but it's like we are not going to tell you how horrible this is it's horrible you know like and yeah i think that the um the character who i was most kind of like gra- gravitating towards was the detective Kelly O'Coin. yeah who's like going through the step-by-step process of being like this something doesn't seem right something doesn't seem right you know and then kind of for people who who have watched they know but like for people who don't know it's basically this case where uh, a teenager named conrad roy 
took his own life uh, and it seems like he was being egged on by this girlfriend that he had named Michelle Carter who's played by Elle Fanning and but like a lot of people in both of their lives didn't really seem to understand or know Mm -hmm. about their relationship and anyway like the way in which they depict this is very 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 matter of fact and I think that that's the appropriate tone to strike that being said you know when you're watching it you're like this is this is tough sledding. I mean, like this isn't like this isn't like quote unquote entertaining TV, right? Yeah, it's not entertaining TV, but there is a there there's a spark here. Well, it's precision, you know? it, yeah. It, it, but it, not just precision, but like it's a strange case. And I think again, the perspective matters. Like our our relationship to the different parties investigating and the detective being like, huh, or like not really understanding, wondering if this is just how teenagers are. Like, I think that it has enough space from it in a way that is respectful and appropriate. We are not we are not embedded in any one faction of this case. We are considering the case, which I think serves it well because it allows for, as you said, a very artful rendition of the bad news montage. I was, I was kind of on the edge of my seat and maybe in a way on the edge of falling off of the show entirely, wondering sure. how that would be handled. But it's handled quickly. It's matter-of-factly. And I don't think it's a spoiler to, to give this line away, but the aforementioned Norbert Leo Butts, who plays the, 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 the deceased father, when he's on the phone, he doesn't lose it. He doesn't do the fall to his knees. He says, well, there's police tape all around our son's car. Why? Yeah. You know, and it's, it's matter of fact, but it's everything is in that line. And it, that shows restraint, which I think earns the show the ability to have um, Elle Fanning's character, Michelle, after getting the news herself, appear totally destroyed. Like she's thrown up on herself. There's tears everywhere. And she says what's happened. She says Con- uh, Conrad's dead. And her family, uh, Cara Buona plays her mom, is just says, who's Conrad? Right. So you earn the both moments, you know, and it's a delicate dance, but it's one that I think is at least for through one episode they've pulled off. And I think that's, I think that's a challenge. Yeah, I think for that's sure. very hard to do. So I, I recommend it. I'll be, I'll be sticking with that one. I hope people watch slow horses. Uh, and, um, we'll probably, well, I guess next week we should talk. Out. Cause listen, I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea. This is not a this is not a contractual holdout like it was in all of 2019 when I pretended to make a TV show, but needed you know needed to get secure the bag. Like that's right. really what that was about. Um, your boy's going on vacation. Chris has promised to fill my seat with only B listers because the, I I I get threatened and spooked easily because yeah. as everyone knows, because people are always like, oh, you guys have. People are like, people are talking. People are always like, you guys have such good chemistry and rapport. And what they, what maybe, maybe some of them don't realize is that, Chris, you, 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 you can do that with anybody. Like well, you, I, you, I, my plan is to, on Monday, have one of two Will Smiths on. And we'll see which one comes on, you know? I think that's very exciting. And I don't <laughs> think you should put any time pressure on either. You know what right. I mean? Like, see which one, see which one shows up. No, Kai and I will just record for like 24 hours and we'll see who calls first. It's good of you to tell Kai and now. Um, she loves she loves that kind of management. Um, I think I'm on vacation to, too, so she'll be fine. Yeah. It's a company retreat. Did we yeah. not get the email? Um, so I'll I, I will be out for the next two weeks unless there's you know some breaking news and I'll uh, and I'll just record a voicemail. Well, I would like it if you that, if you sent me a uh, a, a uh-huh. Moon Knight dispatch from a museum gift shop. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No that that's great. I mean, I wouldn't want to interrupt your waiver wire time because without me here, I think you'll finally, you know, you'll really be able to put next season's Fantasy Squad together in a in a way that's consistent with your values of team building. But uh, I'll do what I can. I'll do what I can. It's really and obviously, I'll, I'll 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 miss all you guys. I'll it's miss speed. all. Of them. Really, I, I emphasize <laughs> speed. Uh, do you above all else? Yeah, I think character guys too. You know, what about what about? You know, Bill's been saying this a lot recently. At the end of the day, what about just winning mentality? What about yeah, winning? Yeah, no, players? that is definitely something I ask all my guys. Do you yeah, love? Do you do you love this game? You know, that's why it's going to be hard to fill this this chair for two weeks. You know, because do Who's people humor wonder me enough? about this stuff? That's right. I I know a lot of people who just do TV podcasts. I don't know a lot of people yeah. who love TV. Not like you. That's right. Let me just look at the last hour plus. <laughs> we just watched more TV this week than. I did all of, in all of the aforementioned 2019. So you're welcome, America. We were produced as we always are by Kaya McMullen. This is Andy's final show on The Watch for two weeks and wish him well on his vacation. <laughs> I really thought you were going in a different direction with that, but and I guess we'll find out. We'll be back on Monday. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys soon. A wonderful, wonderful fortnight, Bransky's.
This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.